Ready to boost sales and grow your business without the BS? Welcome to the Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We'll be sharing actionable tips across marketing, sales, and growth without the BS to help you skyrocket your business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And today I'm joined by returning guest, Justin Michael. Justin's co-founder over at Hype Cycle, which holds the monthly GTM games. Go to cross-market training, or cross-training rather, B2B <laughs> professionals. He's known for co-writing the book, Tech Powered Sales, along with Tony J. Hughes. Justin, welcome to the show, sir. How's it going, man? Well, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I uh, appreciate this show, and it's good to be here. Um, I think we're going to talk about cold calling today, which is a great subject. I don't get that many calls on my cell phone. How about you? Very rarely, to be fair. In fact, someone did a poll, as people like to do on LinkedIn, and I think I ticked the box this morning saying I get under five cold calls a month. So it shows you how many people reach out to me cold. Probably similar with LinkedIn voice, LinkedIn video, all those kind of personalized ways of getting at me. Very, very rare. A ton of cold email, but very few cold calls. And that's exactly what we're going to be chatting about. So we're going to be talking, going down and dirty on is cold calling worth it for 2022? And I'm sure probably the audience is quite split either watching or tuning in. Some people think, hell yes. Others probably think, hell no. Um, First and foremost, Justin, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm actually the person that posted that poll. Because, um, you know, I put my phone number in all the databases from Cognizm, if you're watching in Europe, to Lucia, to LeadIQ, to ZoomInfo, to Slintel. They're in all the databases. It's a 917. I'm not going to give it out because I'll get them farted. And I typically get calls from Gong and Chorus and Seamless. Uh, you know, it's the conversational intelligence and data providers that, that contact me. But there's over 2,000 sales uh, tech tools and 8,000 MarTech tools. And so you think there would be more calls. And so there's been this sort of, you know, existential threat that, you know, half the population in the jobs are prospect based. They're going to be millennials and they don't take calls. And uh, so actually what it represents is a really remarkable opportunity for you to get clean data, direct dials or cell phone dials. You can have that data from several platforms that say direct um, checked. Uh, with virtual assistants, and you can get that data clean to about 90, 98%. So first is, if you're buying from one data provider, buy from two. If you're buying from two, buy from three. And now if you have multiple data providers, go clean that data, pre-call it, get human verified leads. All that means for the small business audience is someone calls in advance, and I call right Sam Dunning, and it says, hi, this is Sam Dunning. I get his answering machine. I know it's him. Problem now is in the post-pandemic environment, everyone's changing jobs, and 20 to 30% of those leads, their phone numbers are gone. Uh, why would you do this? You would do this to humanize the experience. Like if, if I leave a voicemail and I have a prospect in a cadence, outreach, sales loft, uh, revenue.io, uh, formerly ring DNA, right? And they're yep. getting all these emails from me, but I take the time to leave a voicemail that's slightly tailored. You're going to remember me. I worked a little harder. So I'm showing you a little more effort and then I'm not a full automation. When I talk about phone automation, there's a hundred dialers, but there's a few solutions on the market that dial more numbers at once. Yep. So you can dial four to 10 numbers at a time. And I showcase this. So I'll sit down and in 90 minutes, I'll make 200 dials. 
and I can get four or five referrals, one or two or three meetings, I can do the work I would do manually in two days, working eight hours a day in 90 minutes. And I do talk about that in the book. And we drill this in the series, uh, go to market games from hype cycle. These are the GTM tech stack vendors, because we believe there's a new go to market motion for business owners and startup founders everywhere. Or still leverage the advanced technology to give you back your time just because so much of what you, you think you're doing in sales and marketing is automatable. So it sounds like the short answer to my question is cold calling worth it for 2022 is yes. As Yeah, I don't I don't think the channel is going away unless there is a, a true regulation that's enforced at a greater degree. I think I was measuring that about uh, 43% of the US economy are, you know, the GDP, the gross domestic product. Uh, is actually from small businesses, 43%. And then there's you know, 30 million small businesses, 300 million Americans. We can keep going with statistics, but the calling of strangers and the transacting ideas, it goes all the way back to the bazaar and the market and the spice market. Like, How are we going to trade if we block the mechanism? Now, regulating and making sure it's high quality, I get that. But this whole idea that uh, anyone that calls you who's a stranger is bad. Um, I mean, do we want to see 43% of your economy go away? That would not be good. <laughs> uh, if, yeah. I don't know if, the, if you're anti-capitalism or the free markets, I get it. But right now, democracy and free markets seem to be one of the better systems. So we're going to need to call each other and find out what we're doing and sell each other stuff to survive and thrive economically. Got it. And we're going to talk about tactics shortly. Um, but in terms of cold calling, I, I imagine we've got people from all ends of the spectrum here. Perhaps there's some listeners that already do it. Perhaps there's some that have done it in the past. Perhaps there's people that perhaps do a mix of kind of outbound. They do some inbound. Maybe they do some demand gen. Maybe they do a mix of all, all kinds of outreach and inbound stuff. Is there specific companies or sectors you feel that cold calling is suited to justin or is it something you can just say across the board it's it's going to work well i am sponsored by lead iq among others and uh i was in mobile marketing um where the most of these decision makers are under 30 years old and they command a budget of 2 million to 200 million doing paid ads across facebook and uh, google and so the theory was, hey, they really don't want to be called. And I set records in that climate using direct cell phone data like the ones that Lead IQ provides. And um, humans are humans in all generations. If I interrupt someone and I have a, a tailored value, it works the same whether they're, you know, 20, 40, 60, 80. It just, it's really how you approach it and the relevance. And I think what people forget they forget about the thin slice and Malcolm Gladwell and they forget about the ZMOT. So like Google has made trillions, trillions off of the ZMOT, which is like Sam sitting in his chair. He's going, I have the coolest chair in B2B. And you know what? I think I need a second one. And you go to Google and it's 2 a.m. And you go, boom, cool chair. And then bam. And now you need that chair. But that heartbeat, that second is a lot like when you catch someone and you catch a stranger, um, there's about nine ways that are used to open uh, cold calls and they're all the same. And so what you have is uh, every prospect on earth who has a phone is inoculated. It's almost like vaccinated to your opener. So there's so much focus on the, the handling of the objections and the rebuttals and the ledging and bridging and all this Kung Fu. But the problem is it's the first nanoseconds. Our brains are so sophisticated that within 
like a micro nanosecond, I can sum, sum up if I trust you through your body language, through the tonality. So what I did is I invented a phone technique that really optimizes on the first three heartbeats. And then I changed it radically from the last 20 years. And so it just cuts like a hot knife because subliminally, it's not something prospects are used to ever getting. So it's just like the scene in Star Wars where it goes, these are not the droids they're looking for. And the, and the stormtrooper goes, these are not the droids we're looking for. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, it's, there's a Jedi mind trick. I can tell you how I found it. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, I want to get into that. But before okay. we do, before we get kind of deep dive into actionables, into strategy, I want to, I guess, convince any diehard demand gen inbound marketers, dark funnel preachers that cold calling <laughs> is, yeah, dark you enjoyed that one. Um, so there's good. a lot of them about. And <laughs> I want to dive into how does cold calling stack up against, let's say, cold email? against perhaps inbound marketing where we're getting people with high intent whether that's google ads paid ads seo or whether we're looking at more the dark funnel approach but approach putting out organic kind of educating content across linkedin across different social channels yeah how does it stack up is is one better than the other should we be doing everything what are your thoughts what's worked for you and clients you've helped well we could do an a b test right we can take two you know vendors of analytics and have one use no sdrs and no outbound sell the exact same product and the other one try to approach this all by inbound and demand gen um, the inbound demand gen stuff, they get 80% through, they're warmer, they close sometimes faster, usually a lower uh, ACV or TCV outbound stuff. It can be big whale hunting. It can take time. Now, I just recently saw Chris Walker argue because they're only 10% through and if they're 80% through, it's actually um, not how it works. Uh, the best statistics I saw is, is that 3% of an, a market are in a window to buy. And so all that demand gen stuff pulls the low hanging fruit of the 3%, the 40% will entertain switch switching. So they'll pull that too, like the switching, but then um, something like, uh, well, the remaining, right. The remaining uh, 57% is just not going to budge. It's the status quo. So the beauty of the top salespeople that I've ever worked with is they're magicians. They create demand. And then there were studies by Jim Holden. Basically the thing that the, uh, demand gen dark funnel dark social gurus are missing is that extremely talented salespeople with you know a great degree of acumen in the craft can create demand hmm. so generally sales 80 percent of sellers use techniques that service the demand but certain techniques about you know five percent of sellers can trigger demand so i create systems that just take you you're just sitting there and you're happy in your chair and if you deal with me you're going to want another chair or a few chairs or a couple offices like it's just what they can do and so is an opener a real thing yes and i travel with some closers this would be their thing deal stalled it's horrible the prospect's upset it's never going to go anywhere they went with a competitor i give it to a closer this guy goes in like Jean Renault, you know, boom, closes the deal. I've seen people with the gift to take any piece of business and close it. So there's also the mythology around, well, it was, it's earlier in the cycle. An objection show that the, the sales process was wrong. It's uh, There's a lot of myths here. Like selling is a thing, negotiation is a thing, closing is a thing, outbound is a thing, and inbound and demand gen, you know, they can be effective. But these things are not all mutual exclusive. That's why I'm so fanatical about the go-to-market strategy because you got to consider the holistic picture of your sales marketing operations and bring it together. And I've been working with my co-founder, uh, Julian Nimchinski, on this uh, series called GTM Games. The company's called Hype Cycle, the yep. hype cycle. And what we're really proving is that salespeople are marketers and marketers are salespeople and we're all in rev ops and there's the blurring of the lines. The silos are actually artificial. 
Just want to throw a bit more about you. Um, just want to throw a bit more at you, rather, in terms of kind of cold <laughs> v inbound, because obviously I preach a lot about inbound marketing, running a web and SEO agency myself. Now, true. If a, I guess if a startup's perhaps tuning in, and they're thinking, well, we've got two options. We can go. At, we can go to market. We can go outbound. We can hire a few sales development reps, a few lead gen reps. They can hit the phones and they can start going to book appointments, or we can put a ton of money in ads. Perhaps look at SEO, perhaps look at some sponsored ads, some other bits and pieces, email webinars. What would you say is, is going to be most effective for a business with limited cash? If you're scaling it all and you have the investment to make, um, you definitely want both, right? But unless you live with your mom, which, hey, no shame in that, right? Uh, wedding crash, remember at the funeral crash, remember uh, Will Ferrell, he lived with his mom, and it's okay. No shame in that. Great film. If you want to live with your mom and have skinny kids, do pure inbound because you will go out of business if you go dark funnel social and try to run an SMB without getting people on the phone because the people that start their own businesses, that entrepreneur is on the phone. Every single one from the founder of Value Click, Brian Coriat, started his own business, made his own cold calls. I have met some of the billionaires in this world who started startups and they themselves are the SDR. That's the hidden secret. Do, do you know when, um, the, not when we started the company, but when we built the company up, I was cold calling, so I cold called a lot to generate appointments whilst we were getting budgets put into paid ads into SEO. And now, thankfully, because it saves me a lot of sweat and tears, I don't have to cold call very often, if 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 any time, as I'm running the company and, and handling a few inbound leads here and then, project management. But yeah, we did. So um, yeah, I'm not I'm not opposed to that argument, although everyone might think I'm inbound 100%. It didn't start that way. Well, you weren't called an SDR and you didn't go out and hire an SDR, but your go-to-market motion was a sales development rep because you don't have time. Now, your, your inbound dark funnel stuff is going to work. It does work. There's no doubt. It's going to bring people 80%, but that could take 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. Um, so the, the interesting thing is like my co-founder, former CMO, entrepreneur. So I've gone really deep now into marketing and really deep into sales and spent 15 years selling marketing technology, sophisticated mobile analytics and learning to speak CMO. I worked for Salesforce, LinkedIn. So, um, it, that's why I believe in all bound, all, all the channels can work. What's your strategy? What are your tactics and how are you going to make it work for you? So that it's like the debate is like a false dichotomy. Like you, you kind of, you need them both. Right, you need a storefront. You need a personal yeah. brand. You need to be out there as Sam. You need your, you know, strong brand for the business. You need a great self-serve strategy when people land, and then you have a really quality outbound motion too. If you get big enough, like with these podcasts, and you're not scaling fast enough, you don't need the outbound team. Because you know, if you're going to get five to ten leads per month, quality inbound, you're fine. You're probably fine. If you close too fast, you need to hire people. You don't want to scale faster. It could break your fulfillment, right? So it, it's 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 interesting. Um, yeah, you've, you've summed that up really nicely. So <laughs> yeah, we've we've teed this up. We've teed this up well. So let's let's jump into some actionables, Justin. Let's talk about yeah. what makes the perfect cold call, in your opinion, whether that's from kind of opening to going for the demo request or the appointment, I guess. Yeah. So if you do want to get into the uh, out of the dark so social and into maybe the darker art of <laughs> outbound sales or, you know, the original profession on earth, you know, the world was created and then the sales and maybe attorneys crawled out of the ocean. I'm not sure. Uh, whatever your creation story is, but um, let's say you're going to make this call. Here's the problem. Um, I found a few things I can tell you. I found I don't know how much time we have, but there's only so many approaches. 
A very thorough analysis was conducted for a project called Rev Garage, again, uh, by Julia Nimchinsky. And we found nine things. We found, did I catch it at a bad time? It's an Aaron Ross 2011. We found a YUY Now, which is a Basho, which is a Hoffman Barrows approach. It was about uh, a little before 2010, I think, maybe late 2000s. We found the natural, which is how are you? We found the Sandler, which is, hey, this is a cold call. I hated making it. Are you hating being on the phone with me now? Right? Humor, this the backwards counterintuitive. Um, can I get 26 seconds of your time, which is a Not cool 27? adaptation. 27, right? Eight-minute abs, seven-minute abs, something like that. Um, another one is like this Josh Brown, Chris Voss is becoming popular. Like, you don't know me. Uh, like a negative label open. Well, there's three interesting things about this. Okay, the first is this. For the last 20 years, the cold call has been this. I interrupt you, then I talk about myself. Imagine a light in a theater, and it's like an old school play. I call Sam, interrupt Sam, and talk about me and my company. And every one of those approaches is the same way. So I thought, well, what if I spotlight the prospect? So I flipped that. And then there's only two mediums ever in the last 20 years. So I'm, I'm really like a deconstructor, you know, like I, I was actually just watching Elon Musk and he was building rockets and talking about cryogenic steel. And now I feel way less like Elon Musk. But uh, if you think about first principles, we've only ever wanted to do two things on the phone. For 100 years, talk to Todd Capone. We've tried to sell the product to Sam on the phone. So I said, hey, Sam, do you need a new CRM? Nope. So then someone figured out, let's do time. Hey, Sam. Uh, let's talk. Can we talk about CRMs? Do you have 15 minutes or 30 minutes? Now I mess with that and I do 11 minutes. It's hilarious. And the prospect says, I'll give you nine minutes. I'll say, okay, I'll bring a stopwatch. So what has there been? We've asked to sell our product or to sell for time. So I figured out two things. I turn the spotlight onto the prospect and I sell the route. I yeah. try to figure out who's in charge of the problem before I even ask you for your time or what I'm going to sell you. I'm just trying to figure out Sam, are you the person at your company? Now, in a small business, it's kind of funny because if I get Sam and he's the CEO of his company, he probably handles everything. But if I call Sam, like, who's in charge of your website? You might say, actually, an agency did it. Or it was actually my cousin, Rick. He's awesome in IT. You don't really know, especially when I train teams that are in matrixed organization or sell something disruptive. You don't often know who it is. And then I figured out this Jedi mind trick is I call everybody and I just ask them if they're in charge of the thing they're in charge of. So I would call you up and I'd say, hey, Sam, uh, I would say, first use your name. So like, hey, is, is this Sam Dunning? Yeah. Hey, Sam, Justin Michael from Acme. Who's in charge of your sales development over there? So I use this thing called route and I just ask you, well, 30% of the time the data was bad. And it's like, oh, it's not Sam. It's Carol. Uh, Sam, Sam's not here now. I'm the new GM. There's someone else on the line. Another, you know, somewhere in the 30%, the lead is bad. The phone number is bad. I didn't get through over the bad message, right? If it's not them, they always say, hey, call Carol. And then I just get permission. I do a referral and then send an email via Sam. So right from the top, instead of, instead of the call opens, I go, hey, Sam, who's in charge of your sales development? You're like, what is this about? I'm like, well, our sales development reps are the best and we can get you so much revenue. You're like, uh, no, thanks. Send some information. And now I'm doing rebuttals. Kung Fu from the top, just striking and fighting. I do Aikido. I ask you who's in charge of the thing, the route. You, you give me a referral. Now, if I ask you who's in charge of your sales development, you say, I am. Well, this is crazy. This word, I am right? I think it's like Yahweh. It's like the first word in the Bible. It's not trying to get religious, but it's a powerful word. People who say, I am, they become powerful. Prospects, when you call them, they're not in charge of their taxes, their spouse, their kids, uh, corona, anything. They're powerless. But you know they have power? They can tell you to go away or they can buy from you. So you actually make them more powerful. So I isolated 
um, all my email techniques are based on visual because the brain processes visually. And then all my phone techniques are focused on power, the shifting and transferring of power, not your tone, not your power pose, not your suit. You know? Yeah. So I, mean... <laughs> I understand the technique. Does everyone go along with it though? How on a percentage scale, I guess, because you're, you're good with stats, Justin, is there many that say why who's asking or I might be, or is there many that I guess play up rather than just, kind of take the bait and say, yep, yeah, I look after sales management for our team or whatever the question is. I'm trying to use a pitch later framework. And I know Josh Braun uh, has embraced this as well. And he's a friend of mine. And, you know, uh, if they say, who are you? I repeat it in. I'm like, hey, it's Justin Michael Macme. Look, I'm not trying to waste your time. I've got, I do have some sales tech, but I don't waste your time. Are you like the one who heads it up? I asked it again. Gotcha. And then they say, I am. And then invariably, there's multiple things. Because remember, 57% of the time, they're like status quo. So they either built it internally or they use another vendor. And so I'll usually say, well, how do you normally do it? And they say, oh, well, I already use Betacorp. And then every other seller on earth goes like this. Oh, Betacorp is really bad customer service. I run them all the time. They're on my biggest referral. And they just start bashing with differentiators. And now there's more Kung Fu. And they ask you for more information. And you're gone. So what I do now is whatever they say at that moment, anything they do, even board like do nothing, I just applaud them. I'm like, I agree. Like if you use beta, beta is great. How's it working out for you? And I asked this thing called the ruin, this, this question. And what it does is it makes them open up to you. It's like, it's pretty magical. Sometimes you're just like, you know, well, I really like it. And I've had, you know, had it for a long time. It's doing that. And I was like, you know, and start interviewing about their current solution. And this wheel, they go from positive to negative. And the reason it's called ruin is because if you want to get someone to be dissatisfied, you just ask questions like, hey, do you want a house in the south of France? Do you want a limited vacation time? Do you want to be fitter? Do you want to be a multimillionaire? And just after a while, you know, do you want a Lamborghini, Countach? I don't know, it's hilarious, 80s car. Uh, but what I'm saying is by t- interviewing, agreeing with them and interviewing them around what's working in the solution, they will often say like, yeah, the pricing model is good. And then I wait for this thing called the polarity shift that I f- found where they go, wait, who are you? What is it? And they switch. And then I pitch. So the pitch is the third step, the multiply. Just and then to when clarify, I pitch, though, before we get yeah. into that, so I, I, I get the part. So basically, we're, we're asking them if they if they do the role that we know they already do, because it's in mm-hmm. our data sheet, providing it's a, an Boom. accurate contact. Um, yeah. Then, hopefully they've agreed with us. But then are they, what I didn't quite pick up, Justin, are they picking up on the fact that we've already introduced our company name so they have a rough idea of what we do? Because you said then they might kind of start querying what we can do and then you complement their existing supplier. But that was the part I wasn't quite clear. What was the exact yeah. next step? So the full format is called route, ruin, multiply. If you reach out, I can send you a guide. Um, first you route. And if they say they're in charge of it, they'll often just say, I already have something in place. But if they don't tease that out, you just, how do you normally do it? And they go, oh, it's Betacorp. Okay. And that's when, um, you know, you're, you're asking them, it's like Columbo. You're asking them questions you already know the answer to. So the second step is you agree and then you ask them kind of how is it working, and that's when they're going to surface up information about what they're currently using, whether they're building it internally, buying it. They're not – here's the thing. They're not ever listening to you. They're totally focused. They're multitasking you, nothing. You actually are depending on them being checked out and multitasking you. You get them to start talking about their current condition, which is a very spin-selling framework. Um, let's say Betacorp is their existing sales development service. Yeah, we got reps over there. They're offshore. Uh, we're son- we're kind of getting the meetings. It's pretty good. We're pretty happy. Oh, what else would you like it to be able to do? And they go, well, you know, it's a little expensive and we haven't had a meeting in a month. You know what I mean? So then you go, you spin and now you just go, 
well, if you could get the meetings, what would happen? And if you couldn't get the meetings, what would happen? So what I'm doing is I'm bringing the discovery process from lower in the funnel to the top of the funnel, and I'm getting the prospect to talk 80% of the time, and I'm just listening and querying them about their current status quo or what they use. It's Go totally ahead. revolutionary. Basically, I all I'm trying to do is the bouncing ball. I'm trying to keep the spotlight off myself. Yep. So Gong has listened to millions of calls, but not mine, and thinks they'll listen to talk ratios 40-50. If you use my techniques, we will talk 5% of the time. The calls will go over 10 minutes and um, they will ask you for the meeting. The polarity will shift and say, wait, who are you? Wait, can you help me with this? Can I send you my Calendly? Can I bring my friends? Um, I found, I can tell you how I found all this stuff because it's all a bit Welsh right now, obviously on the call. Um, but essentially sure. prospects are emotional and an entire call is set up this way. I interrupt you, spotlight myself, tell you the reason logically why you should listen to me about something that you can't change. How is that going to work out well? All that can cause is a negative reaction on the prospect, a recoil, and more loyalty and affinity for whatever they're doing, which is do nothing or another supplier. It doesn't work. If I call you, flip it, listen to you, agree with you about your choice, I disarm you, create affinity, open you up, and you want a partner with me. It's a reverse, it's a whole reverse technique. If you're talking, we're building trust. Because challenger sales came out and it's like, well, I got to interrupt you and then challenge you, but you're emotional. And so it goes back to that Google search. The minute you go, wait, what do you do? Then it's the polarity flips. I used to do these big sales cycles over three years, right? And what happened is I would push the meeting, do the demo, get the technical people together, the MSA, we get it all the way down, we close it and it would blow up in there because never did they turn and say, I got to do this deal. Hey, Justin, let's get these paper, this paperwork, right? There's this flip in big deals. There's actually a flip. And this is why show rates are so bad on the meetings because they now lie to the SDRs and say, I'll show up at Tuesday at 11 just to get you off the phone. Yeah. So I'm interested in this flipping point, Justin. So is, is it just a case of we ask enough questions, keep them in conversation long enough, um, and then eventually they just say, look, who are you? What is it that you can, what is it you can do for me? At some stage, I get that because you're going to build up enough curiosity. They're going to keep talking. They're going to eventually want to know who the hell you are and what you offer. Um, what happens next, though? Do we blurt into saying, our oh, product is XYZ. We can help you 10x this, 100x this, book a meeting. Or is there another approach? I know this is alien, but sometimes they're sitting on a call. Tell me their life story, their health history, about their kids, their trip, whatever. And so like, if a sales manager is hearing it, they're like, you're not controlling the call. But I'm talking to a chief revenue officer. So you're a chief revenue officer. We can spend 20 minutes. You can say anything you want. I'm going to listen. Because if I get 20 minutes with a chief revenue officer in an ICP persona company that I need, I'm going to win. I guarantee you no chief revenue officer in the world is going to spend 20 minutes with a vendor talking for 20 minutes and then not help you. And so I get all these weird reactions where they're like, whoa, Justin, you're not like a seller. You remind me of a friend. You know, Honestly, I was just going to tell you to pound sand. And we actually have the exact solution, but I like you. So I'll set up the meeting anyway. <laughs> I've had I've had like these, right? Because once people know and like you, when you listen to someone, it's a gift and they want to reciprocate. That's why voicemails work. Like we talked about in the very beginning is if I leave a voicemail, but someone else sends 15 cadenced personalized messages to you, they'll say, ah, well, he at least lifted the phone. <laughs> he tried. So at this point, the polarity will shift and they'll become interested. The zero moment of truth where they go, wait, what are you? Is there a value? and they'll ask you and that's where it's you just 
The beauty is the whole front of the call, they gave you their pain points, latent pain and use cases. So instead of you spending hours on the pre-call research, they've served you the pain in the front and now you just align the solution. Now, rookie sellers hear any pain and they spoon feed, Mary Poppins. Good sellers, you hear a pain, you peel the pain, right? And that's pain funnel Sandler and that's challenger sales and that's uh, spin and, and Miller High, and it, they all go into that. You can't, you can't have someone say the customer service bad. And you're like, our customer service is great. <laughs> it's slow. Ours is fast. Like you got to not do that. You got to find out if you speed it up, how do you make more money? Or if you don't, what breaks, right? The whole root cause analysis, problems and symptoms appealing. So what I'm actually doing is I'm taking a lot of closing tactics and things that strategic sellers have used for 20, 30 years. And I'm teaching them to new reps to think strategically because Nobody ever wanted an iPhone. In fact, Steve Ballmer running Microsoft laughed at Steve Jobs and said, no buttons, we have no interest in that. And then there was a line like Star Wars. So latent pain is the pain, the insidious pains that they can't see, the iceberg. You've all seen this picture where it's like what the executives know, 5%, and then what's going wrong in the corporation. <laughs> um, it's, it's so weird that you could call the owner of a business or a prospect and they don't know what's wrong. They understand symptoms, but you have to, like a therapist, lead them through the peel, like a doctor. Doc, my knee hurts. And he just walks in. He says, you know, we're going to operate. Let's amputate. Good doctor says, when did it start? A week ago. Oh, I tripped on a roller skate. I hit my knee against the fridge. Okay, here's some, go get some Advil. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's the issue. I got it. Give us an example, Justin. So we've, um, we've probably... All being well for this call, we've had a, a good conversation. They've given us a lot of intel. If they've perhaps got some pain points, we've dug deep into them, understand the root cause, and it's potentially something we might be able to help them with our product or our offering. They've then said, look, Justin, you've took up 20 minutes of my time. What the hell can you do and what can you do for me? Give us an example of perhaps how you've taken, and use a previous prospect if you wish, of how you've served up that problem or that pain points that you've just analyzed into a nice little cocktail where you've then got the meeting. Yep. So at the very end, it's route, ruin, multiply. And so the most critical thing you can do here is just say, you know what, Sam, keep everything you've got. Don't rip out acne. But what we should do is we plug us in alongside and we're going to multiply the effectiveness of acne. And this is a land expand because a lot of, a lot of the people I train are in tech stack land where there's 91 solutions in the stack. But I mean, my mom's 70 and she has a stack. Everyone has a stack. So if you can augment the minute you're trying to rip it out, now I have route, ruin, rip, which is you're just pitching later. Now you just pitch. But the real Trojan horse is to say, keep it all, plug us in alongside, multiply the effectiveness of what you're doing. Let's work on it for a quarter. Let's look at it. And then just get in. Trojan horse, multiplier. Okay, don't change what you're doing. You, you know, you've got the sequencer, you've got the data, you got that. Just why don't you bring us in on the intent later, layer? We improve the targeting. We're going to make your whole stack work better. It's a turbocharger, right? That's been in MarTech and AdTech and high-tech verticals. There's often like a multi-pronged point solution. You know, that's how I would sell it because there's no friction. It means they don't have to rip out a SaaS contract, an MSA. It doesn't matter if they're in a two-year, three-year cycle. I'm making them I'm reducing the friction. Like I'm listening to you. You're in control. Don't change anything. Just add this small monthly fee in for SaaS, right? That's how I would do it. So let's say for example's sake, because we've been talking about software as a service SaaS products. So if, if we've yeah. been if we're a CRM provider um and we've had a good chat with the with the prospect, we've gone through perhaps 
understood a bit more about their current state, what they're working with now, perhaps some flaws, perhaps some problems, some issues that they've been dealing with. Maybe their CRM takes 20 minutes to update. It doesn't link into Gmail. Perhaps their reps take hours a week frustratingly updating the <laughs> records, you know, yeah. the common common CRM problems that the sales reps <laughs> might go into. Um, do we just say, look, I'm, I'm glad you're with HubSpot, but I want to feed on those Zoho CRM, whatever the heck CRM there. I want to put this alongside and see how you get on to see if it helps improve xyz we just discussed is that what you do or yeah i mean how are you going to get a rip out if it's a two three-year contract you don't know if they're month to month but why don't you put them into the tool is it a risk to do a pilot to have a sandbox a trial to get them in there using the tool mm. now if you're doing managed services in it and you really need to rip it out you might say when's your contract up six months mark it and come back to them and then it's different you're doing quarterly cycles and you're trying to find buying windows to even sell into but nine times out of 10, those contracts are easier to break than you think. And a lot of times they are on month to month and they've been in a long contract. They're just being cagey and trying to keep that information from you. Yep. So the best thing you can do is get people. It's, it's used in the you know, vehicle industry. They sit you down to test drive cars even now. Why? Because once you're in it, the look, the feel, how it works. You know, It's one thing to tell you the CRM is so much better but just put them into a CRM that works well. I mean, remember the difference between like Microsoft Outlook and the original Gmail and G Suite and just how fast and easy it was to use? I was going to say, you don't have to preach G Suite to me. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never Everyone's always like, well, we're just using G Suite to run the business. And like, well, that costs a hundred, couple hundred million to build. It seems easy, but there's a lot going on in there. Um, all the asynchronous updating and editing. And um, that's the thing. You know, it's, that's why I'm so big into visuals. Uh, you know, and some of the product-led growth stuff because you can only do so much with words. You know, you, you, people have to like experience those moments. And yeah. uh, that's why stories work on the phone. Yep. And how you pitch at the end could be a use case. Um, uh, Mike Bosworth, he calls it uh, peer uh, curiosity to peer envy. I'll credit him there, right? If I know that a similar type of prospect is successful with our service or solution and I can tell you the story about them, that's powerful. The use case or testimonial and presenting that as part of the pitch, not just feature function benefits, speeds and feeds. Uh, the other thing for me is there's like four types of sales. There's like feature function benefits. And then there's like the competitors, which is phase two and phase three is political. I'm always thinking if someone buys this, how does it advance them in their career? What are the optics? Who's looking at them? You know, but I know we're talking to small businesses now. It's a little different. I deal with like a lot of enterprises and highly matrixed organization. We have 25 VPs. They don't even know how they buy. Different strategy. Yeah. Same motion though. Same kind of opening call. Yeah, got it. So just to, I guess, wrap the call up. If we're if we're saying, look, we we think that we can kind of plug in problem X Y Z. We've just discovered during during our call. I'm I'm not saying replace what you've got right now. I'm saying plug us in alongside see what the results go like for the next three, six months. If they're better than what you've got now, great. We look at long-term. If not, no no harm done. Do we leave it at that? And they say, great, can we... And the prospect actually asks for the meeting. Do we do something like you mentioned, Josh Braun and Chris Voss earlier? Do we say, with all that said, would you be opposed to learning more on a, a demo with us? Or what What kind of strategy do you, do you take? Or do you just leave it after the... <laughs> Yeah, the double negatives are really interesting. Uh, verbal jujitsu, right? Because you're using this, you're asking a negative, you're asking a question that gets a no. Would you be opposed? No versus do you want to take a meeting with us? Yes, because it's less committal to say no than yes. But basically, by the time I've gone through this process with prospects, they typically ask me for a meeting and they ask if it's okay to bring people. But if that doesn't happen, I'll just, you know, 
see if they have some time. Um, I'm a huge proponent in this thing called the principle of disinterest. Humans are like magnets. If I show a ton of interest in you, I repel you. If I don't know you, that's strange, right? I, it's uh, <laughs> You have to be cool, calm, and collected. So calls to action can't be, can I have 15 minutes or 30 minutes? Um, do you want to talk this over? It's like, you know, when are you around? Or what's a good, like, you know, what I always tell executives when I book meetings, I'm like, what is the slowest time of your week next week? Like where you just have 10 minutes, but you're not busy. It's like an afternoon. And they're like, ah, Fridays, Thursdays, you know, usually around four o'clock, I have nothing going on. I'm like, great. Like I'll get you at three fifty, and then I'll book them for 10 minutes at the top of the hour with like total deference to the schedule. Cause I don't need 30. I don't need an hour. I just need to get on the phone and get a small meeting. Just get a beachhead. I, I can't stand that you get a demo request. They put 30 on your calendar. They ask you for more time. Now we're 45 minutes in. Now we're an hour. Now it's like I just went through a surgery, you know, bad demoing. <laughs> and that's a, that's a topic for another podcast. Um, <laughs> okay, let's, let's wrap this up, Justin. You've given us a nice, nice framework to for people that perhaps want to up their cold calling game or perhaps they haven't done any outbound yet that they can steal and put into play. Are there any other kind of, I guess spot checks any other considerations that we need to think about before we get stuck in get some data verify it and hit the phones either ourselves or with our our um, outbound sales team all i would say is i was i was quite actually inspired when i created this method with something called vampire rule which is i don't know if you grew up in the 80s or saw a lot of good uh vampire movies there's this weird thing like they're immortal and they live off you know sucking human blood and so forth and but they can be killed with a uh right what is it like silver oh, and, and then they, they repel them with garlic and like i was gonna say water. i watched buffy the vampire Slayer, and i think they just staked them but um okay yeah so all I can't remember that, what it but, was if it was a wooden stake or what but that's like a that's like a really ferocious fearful creature right that's blood curly that's scary that's terrifying except if they're outside your door they can't come in unless you invite them over the threshold it's like this unwritten law and i know it's a hilarious thing to compare the salespeople to that but what i really believe in is opt-in so although i'm aggressive in doing the reach the reach outs and doing a lot of outbound the techniques i use a lot of tap outs and a lot of opt-out factors because i'm really waiting for them to reach because magnetically i can't push on them i can't just keep pushing at you until i corner you into tuesday it doesn't work at some point when my friend Gary McDonald says, we have to create desire. There must be desire in them, right? They need to invite us over the threshold. And that's what that polarity shift is. I'm just waiting till you literally say, wait, what was your name? Who's the company? Because you're too busy. There's no way that sea level here's, you know, web choice UK. And then like six minutes later, even remembers your name. There's no way they're sitting there clearing stuff on their screen. And that's okay. I give them permission to forget about me because they're, they're thinking about their problems and I'm interrupting them, you know? I get it. Nice, nice way to wrap it up with the, with the vampire analogy. I like it. Cool. Justin, always a pleasure. <laughs> Never a chore, my friend. Thanks, um, with, with that, please do tell us more about how people can learn from you, how they can connect with you and a bit more yeah. about Hype Cycle. Cool. Please come to uh, GTM Games. It's uh, like a couple weeks every month. We're on the fifth in the series. If you just go type in GTM Games um, or Hype Cycle, if you can spell that, you can also just find myself, Justin or, or Julia um, on LinkedIn and you can attend this thing. If you want to participate, if you're a seller and you want to do marketing drills or a marketer, you want to do sales drills, if you want to sponsor, it's a bit of a Barkley marathon for go-to-market strategy. And it's uh, probably the most unique series 
uh, one of the most unique ever created. So come check it out. And uh, yeah, pleasure to be on the show. No worries, dude. Thanks very much, Justin. We'll put all of those links over on the show notes at <laughs> businessgrowth.marketing. With that, thank you again, sir. And as always, we interview business leaders each and every week to provide actionable tips across marketing, sales, and growing a business. And with that, we should catch you on the next one. Are you tired of hunting for clients? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending money on marketing, but your website is failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of leads and sales. Want to learn more about WebChoice's unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you? Book a free digital marketing assessment today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com.